Tonight, we want to give an overview and summarize some of what we've been teaching in the past two or three Sundays, Lord's Days, in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and chapter 9, to see if we can apply some of these principles to our lives in a practical way. Now, you have an outline, and we're going to start from this point for you to fill in the outline. I think you'll have most of the information on the screen as well, if you can see it. I hope you can. But from this point on, we're going to be using our notes quite closely. The passage then we're going to be looking at first is chapter 8 of 2 Corinthians. This is what we did several weeks ago. But we want to summarize these principles. This passage tells us, first of all, that the source of giving God's way is grace that is bestowed by God. In verse 1, Paul says he wants to tell the Corinthians about how the Macedonians were able to give because of the enablement that God gave them through his grace. That's in chapter 1. I'm sorry, verse 1 of chapter 8. They gave according to God's enablement by his grace. Now, let me explain a little bit about grace. Grace is used in different ways in the Bible. The general or overall meaning of grace is undeserved divine favor. God gives us not only what we don't deserve, but he overlooks altogether what we do deserve. It's God's undeserved divine favor. One of the first types of grace that we read about in Scripture is saving grace. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For by what? Grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So grace, saving grace, is the first kind of grace. This grace, of course, has its source in God. We cannot be in any way saved by depending upon what we do ourselves. We cannot earn our way into heaven. We cannot in any way buy our way into heaven. Joining a church would not give us salvation. What we need to do is to draw upon the grace of God and through faith, In Jesus Christ, we become the children of God. So saving faith is the first kind of faith or grace that we learn about. And I trust that all of you here have experienced that grace in your life, where God the Spirit has touched your life, caused you to realize that you are a sinner, caused you to realize that the wages of sin is death, separation from God. But God, even when we were in that position, sent his Son, that's grace, to bear the penalty for our sin on the cross. And through faith in him now, in his death and his glorious resurrection, remember, his resurrection was a validation of the fact that he had accepted Christ's death on your behalf and on my behalf. And when we agree with that and we say to him, God, I accept the death of Christ and my salvation the same way you've done it, then you become a child of God through faith based on the grace of God. That's saving grace. But then there is enabling grace. In Titus chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, it tells us that grace appeared, teaching us to do what? Deny ungodliness. That's enabling grace. The grace of God that enables us to deny ungodliness. We call that enabling grace. Now, the enabling grace in Scripture Described in different ways. First, in Hebrews chapter 12, 
verse 26 or verse 28, it tells about enabling grace for service. We are enabled by the grace of God to serve him. Then, in Romans 12, it tells us about God's grace that enables us to utilize spiritual gifts. These are all aspects of enabling grace. Then he tells us in Hebrews 4 that we can go to the throne of grace to do what? Find help in time of need. That's enabling grace. God's enabling grace provides the help we need in time of need. Then, in these chapters, chapters 8 and 9, we have the grace that enables us to give God's way. Apart from that grace, we'll never be able to give in a way that honors God. So that's the different kinds of grace. Saving grace, enabling grace. Enabling grace for service, enabling grace for spiritual gifts, enabling grace for meeting uh, difficulties in time of need, and then enabling grace to cause us to give according to God's standards. But secondly, what Paul does here in these chapters, as we saw, is to show that the grace that is bestowed by God is modeled or patterned after the giving grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, Paul gives us a prime example of what it means to give based on grace. And that example is Jesus Christ. Now, in verse 9, I want you to take a look at that passage in your Bibles. First, Second Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. Would you read it for me, please? That's the example that Paul gives us as the basis for our giving according to God's way. Grace, Jesus Christ. Jesus' giving of himself was sacrificial. Jesus did not sin. He knew no sin. The Bible says no guile was found in his mouth. But yet, he suffered for sin. Why? Because he took the punishment that was due to you and to me. It was sacrificial. To use Paul's word, he's talking about the Macedonians. He gave above his ability. He gave to the very end. His love was, secondly, it was unselfish. He did not care about himself to the point of saying that he would not give himself as an offering for our sin. In, in um, Philippians chapter 2, it tells us that he emptied himself. He took the form of a human being in order that he might become obedient to the point of death, even a death on a cross. Jesus Christ was unselfish in his giving. He didn't care about himself. Well, probably the proper way to put it is he cared more for you and for me than he cared for himself. That's grace giving. All right. But thirdly, Christ's giving of himself was also voluntary. He did not have to be pressured to give himself for our sin. It was voluntary. He did it because he wanted to redeem us. And so it was sacrificial, it was unselfish, it was voluntary. He is example for grace giving. That's how we are to give. We are to give in a sacrificial way above and beyond what we think we're able to do. It was unselfish. 
When we see a need of God on the part of God's people, we reach out to that need even though we might be depriving ourselves of some of the things that we would like to have. It's voluntary. One of the things that we emphasize this morning is that grace giving is never based on pressure or manipulation, but it's based alone on inner motivation from the Spirit of God based on the grace of God. But secondly, he gives us another example, another model, not only Jesus Christ, but he gives us the model of the Macedonians in in verses 1 through 8 of chapter 8. He says that grace enabled the Macedonian churches to give as they did. It was grace. It was not to try to get um, the headlines. It was not to get applause from man. But it was the grace of God that they drew upon that motivated them to give. And in verse 2 of that chapter, it tells us that they gave in spite of adverse circumstances. They said that they were going through a tough time. They were experiencing poverty. They they were experiencing a financial um, letdown the same way we are experiencing here right now. But they gave nonetheless. And they gave generously in the time of adversity. They didn't allow their circumstances to prevent them from giving. That's why their giving was sacrificial. That's why their giving was unselfish. It was patterned after Jesus Christ. But also they were undergoing spiritual persecution as well as undergoing material poverty. But in the midst of it all, they gave above what Paul expected them to give. Why? Because they were enabled by the grace of God to do that. Someone has said, and I quote, Their poverty no more impeded their generosity than their tribulation diminished their joy. Now, you know, normally in the midst of a financial slowdown on our part, we don't have any money, we don't know what's going to happen. We are not normally generous in those times, are we? But the opposite was true with these Macedonians. They were going through a difficult time economically, but yet they gave more generously than people who were having a good time financially. And also, as far as their problems were concerned, normally there would be no joy when we're facing a lot of problems. Isn't that right? Difficulties, you know. Can't pay my rent. I can't pay the school fees. I cannot do this. I cannot do that. We get down in the dumps, as it were. There's no joy. But these folk were experiencing joy in the midst of tribulation, as well as they were given generously in a time of poverty. Only God's grace could enable people to do that. And that's the kind of way we want, uh, Paul wants us to give. Their joy in Christ overflowed their affliction, and their liberality overflowed their poverty. That's grace giving. That's drawing upon the grace of God. That's how God wants us to live. To always have that joy that our salvation gives us. To know that we are secure in Christ. To know that our eternal future is secure because we have faith in Jesus Christ. That should give us joy at all times. No matter what kind of persecution or adversity we face. That's what Paul is saying here. So the principle from that that passage is this. Circumstances Do not hinder giving, which is rooted in the grace of God. Circumstances. Do not hinder giving, which is rooted in the grace of God. 
In other words, it doesn't have to do with what's happening, but it really has to do with what I want to do to glorify God. They gave sacrificially, as I said, the same way Jesus Christ gave, the Macedonians gave sacrificially. They gave beyond what they were able to do, is the, the words that Paul used. They gave what they're able and beyond what they're able. But the Cecil Cartwright used to like to say, they, they gave until it hurt. And then they gave because it hurt. That's what the Macedonians did. And so grace giving then is evaluated on the basis of sacrifice, not on the basis of quantity. It's not how much we give when it comes to grace giving, but how much do we have left over is what matters. Sacrificial giving has to do with one's spiritual condition, not one's financial condition. It's another important truth here. In other words, grace giving has to do with our relationship with God. It has to do with our spiritual growth, our spiritual maturity, our intimacy with Jesus Christ. Grace giving is a spiritual matter. It's not a matter of economics or finances. It has to do with our heart relationship to God. And that's one of the primary things here. Because remember Paul says they did something he didn't expect. They first gave themselves to Christ and then to him. We're going to see that in a moment. They gave voluntarily. They gave willingly. Paul says they gave of their own accord. Remember we mentioned that Paul didn't ask them to give to help meet the needs of the saints in Jerusalem because he figured, hey, you don't have any money. You're going through a tough time economically. You're being persecuted. I just know you're not in the position to give. So he didn't ask them. These folks actually came and begged Paul to take their money. Isn't that amazing? They actually came and they begged Paul to take their money. Paul, I know you think I don't have any money. I know you think we don't have any funds. But listen, we can give to help the saints in Jerusalem. As I mentioned this morning, suppose we had that kind of attitude. Every time we come to church service, the first thing we want to do is give our money. Hurry up. Let's get the offering going. You think you'll ever come to that day? People want the offering more than the singing or more than the sermons and so on. I kind of doubt it. But that's what Paul is talking about here. They begged for the opportunity to give, even though they didn't have money, even though they were undergoing difficult times. They begged to give. That's the grace of God. They were responding to God's grace in their lives for saving them, and they were giving based on that grace. And so the principle here is, grace giving is spirit-motivated, not man-pressured. In other words, it is Grace giving is not based on how much we can beg you to give or try to manipulate or cause you to feel guilty. That's not the way for grace giving. Grace giving is spirit motivated. That's why I say grace giving has to do with a spiritual condition, not a financial condition. The problem isn't how much you give, but the problem is whether or not you want to give. And if you do give, why do you want to give it? So this idea of grace giving then eliminates all high pressure appeals for the financing of God's work. It eliminates that altogether. Remember I like to tell you a story. I went to preach at one church one time. And when it came to the offering, the pastor got out of him and said, now lock the doors. Don't let no one out until after the offering is taken. 
And then they go. If they don't get what they want at the beginning, they keep taking up their offering entirely to do. That's not grace giving. That's manipulation. That's force. That's pressure. Paul is saying here, that's not modeling our giving after the way Jesus Christ gave. And so, I like to think along these lines. Only those activities in the church that can be financed without undue pressures from us should be engaged in by the people of God. In other words, if we got to beg and scrape and haul our people to give money in order to do things, then we are out of it. Somewhere along the line, we're not doing what God wants us to do. People have to give freely. Now, you have to make the need known. Paul emphasizes that. With pressure, no. Information, yes. You serve, you provide the information, then you leave it for God to work in the hearts of people. Now, many people don't like that idea. They say, no, 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 no. You get, people already got the money. You just got to keep after them. Don't let them go out there until you get what you want. Paul does not endorse that kind of manipulation for giving. So I say information, yes. If you are informed of a legitimate need and you have a hard motivation to meet that need, even though it might cost you something, then you should meet that need. You should respond to that, drawing upon the grace of God. Some people say, boy, well, I just don't have it. I just cannot give it. I really would like to help to meet the need of that a widow who cannot pay her mortgage. But man, you know, I got my own expenses, you know. Well, when you look at it, maybe you don't have to have that telephone, that uh, cell phone. Maybe you don't need cable TV. You see, maybe you don't need to have to buy steak this week. You could buy pork chop or something. That's what they mean, giving above your ability. In other words, you might base your ability upon what you do normally. And what you do normally? Well, I go to Wendy's or KFC three times a week. Well, don't do that. Don't go to some place and buy a $4 cup of coffee that you can get for 50 cents someplace else. You understand? I'm calling no names. But you understand what I'm saying. You see, so sometimes if we manage these things properly, we can give above what we think we are able to give. And that's what he's talking about here. All right? But they gave completely. It says they first gave of themselves. And then they gave themselves to the disposal of the apostle. In other words, they said, Paul, we have already given everything that we own, ourselves, our whole lives, over to God. We do not belong to ourselves. What we have do not belong to us. It belongs to God. Now we are in your hands. What do you want us to do? What do you want us to do in order to help these people in Jerusalem? That's grace-motivated giving here. They gave themselves, then their possessions. And let me tell you this. Until you and I truly give ourselves to God, to Jesus Christ, we will be main, stingy people. Because we're going to think that the money we make belongs to us and not God. But when you understand that what you have is because God through his grace is providing for you, then you use it as a steward, as a manager of his money, not your money, and you use it to bring glory to him. He or they place themselves then at the disposal of God first, and then to Paul, his servant, according to the will of God. So the principle here, grace giving is an acknowledgement of a believer 
to the lordship of Christ over his or her life and substance. In other words, we've come to a point where we literally in our minds sign over everything we belong to Jesus Christ. It belongs to you. How do you want me to use it? In which way do you want me to use it? When we do that, we'll find that grace giving becomes quite automatic. All right? But thirdly, let's look at the practical outworking and spiritual outcome of grace giving. Again, drawing upon what we've said before. First of all, as far as this practical outworking is concerned, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 16, we are to give regularly. Remember he says, each Lord's day, you put aside some and you bring it so there's no collection when I come. Paul didn't want to pass the plate, as I said. He said, I want you to think about it. Now, if you think you want to give $500, well, don't think you need to get all of that one time. Save it up. Store it up. Each Lord's day, you bring so much so that when I come, your $500 will be in already uh, already uh, given to the, the, the church and so on. Plan for it and work it out accordingly. Our giving should be done regularly. Some people say it should be done weekly because he said it was Sunday after Sunday. Well, that's good because that's a part of our worship time as well. But he doesn't designate that actually specifically. He was just saying that when the people of God meet, that's a good time for you to bring the resources in. All right? But do it in a planned fashion. Set the amount and then give it gradually until the full amount is given. So we are, first of all, he says, we are to give regularly. 1 Corinthians 16, 2. And it should be a part of our worship uh, experience as well. Now, we have to get this from other portions of scriptures especially. But let me read you a passage in Hebrews chapter 13. If you don't have that one up on the board, you can turn to it in your Bible. But let me read it for you now. Hebrews 13, to show you how giving should be a part of our worship under the new covenant. Hebrews 13 verse 10 says, We have an altar from which the priests in the tabernacle have no right to eat. Paul is trying to show now the difference that has come about in our way of worship because of the new covenant as compared to the old covenant. He says, what we are doing right now, the priests in the Old Testament would not have the right to do because they were under the law, but now you're under grace. Under the old system, under the old covenant, the high priest brought the blood of animals into the holy place as a sacrifice for sin. Now, when last have you brought a sheep or a goat or a dove to church as an offering? I don't think you've done that recently, have you? Now, if we talk about fish, we probably will have uh, Mr. Pinder bringing them every day and every night. But we don't bring those things anymore. Those sacrifices were under the old covenant. Some people think that because now we don't have to bring them, we don't bring any sacrifices. Paul shown that's not true. He says, under the old system, the high priest brought the blood of animals into the holy place as a sacrifice for sin. And the bodies of the animals were burned outside the camp. So also Jesus suffered and died outside the city gates to make his people holy by means of his own blood. That's us now. So, let us go out to him. In other words, we're going out of the old covenant system into the new covenant system. The old 
the new covenant system is characterized by persecution and suffering under Christ and shame. He says, but let us go out with Christ and bear the disgrace that he bore. For this world is not our permanent home. And some of us have forgotten that. Sometimes we put so much effort into building a home, we think that we'll never leave here at all. But we should actually be preparing and, as he says, sending to build, sending our building materials ahead of us. Amen? Uh, although Jesus himself is the builder, but that's another point. This world is not our permanent home. We are looking forward to a home that is yet to come. Now notice what he says in verse 15. Let us offer through Jesus a continual sacrifice of praise to God. So here's a sacrifice that we as priests under the new covenant is to bring to God when we come to worship. Sacrifice of praise. God sees that the same way he saw the people bringing an animal to sacrifice. He sees our praise. But he doesn't stop there. He says, proclaiming our allegiance to his name. That's important. Establishing the fact that we belong to Jesus Christ and we are not ashamed to admit that. We are the people of God. And notice verse 16. And do not forget to do good. Notice, and to share with those in need. That's what the Macedonians were doing. That's what Paul was encouraging the Corinthians to do, to share, to meet the needs of the Corinthian saints. Now notice how it ends in verse 16. These are the sacrifices that please God. Our giving to help others in need, God sees as sacrifices. And they please God. They honor him. This morning we saw in chapter 9 that they glorify God. So our giving, based on grace, is seen by God as a sacrifice that we give as priests. I think that's a beautiful picture, don't you? And so we have to get out of this idea that when the offering plates come in, just put in a dollar, put in 50 cents or whatever it is, just to give. No, no, no. That's not giving based on grace. It's a whole different story. We see it as an act of worship. It's a sacrifice that we are offering to Jesus Christ as a, high, as a spiritual priest. So the beautiful thing here, it's a part of our worship, and we will recognize this as such. Another reason why we should give regularly, not only because it's a part of our worship, not only because it causes us to do it systematically, but also it causes us to evaluate our priorities on a regular basis. In other words, when a need arises, we re-evaluate our priorities. In other words, here is a genuine need from this member of the body of Christ. It's a real need. She needs this money to pay the doctors, to pay whatever it is. You have some funds available, but you were keeping it for vacation. Now, what are you going to do? As the person who is trying to exhibit the grace of God in your life, are you going to say, well, I know that woman needs a heart surgery. I know I have the money available, but that money I've been setting aside for my vacation, I'm not going to touch it. You see, Paul would say that's not grace giving. Paul would say you give sacrificially. Paul would say you don't think about yourself. You think about the other person. And you wait upon God to supply your needs for that vacation. As we saw today. As we meet the needs of others, God meets our needs. And he meets our needs in an overflowing way. So we'll have more funds to help people and so on. 
That's the teaching in chapter 9. So it helps us to overview and to evaluate our priorities in life. It also gives us the opportunity to experience joy. Because remember, it says God loves who? A joyful or a hilarious giver. So you really want to be a happy and a joyous Christian? You come waiting and looking for the opportunity to give to meet real, genuine needs in the body of Christ. And that's joy. And not only says, and not only that, it says that he loves those of us or those who are grace givers. He loves, so we experience his love in a special way. Also, to give in a regular way helps us to foster an ongoing sense of support and involvement. As we give to meet the needs of the saints, not only here, it could be anywhere, but we have a sense that we belong to a universal body of Christ as well as a local body. It gives us a sense of belonging. It gives us a sense of identity when we give based on grace. It also provides more opportunities to give more sacrificially, to be more like Christ in our giving because we hear about needs and we give and we hear about more needs and God provides for us to give and so on. And Grace giving then becomes a way of life. Giving sacrificially becomes a common, ex- common experience for us. In fact, we don't see it as sacrifice anymore. We see it as a joyful way of worshiping our God. That's what Paul is talking about here. And not only that, it also causes us to what I call to experience a full-orbed worship experience. Unfortunately, a lot of folk who come out today feel that the only time they worship is when they're singing and making a lot of noise. That's where they worship. Paul is not saying that. He says, if you really want to enjoy your worship, is then be looking, look for the opportunity to give sacrificially to meet the needs of God's people, to give an offering to God as a way of demonstrating that you are a priest and you are honoring and worshiping him by giving to others. But also, we are to give not only regularly, we are to give personally and individually. It says in 1 Corinthians 16 to each one of you to give. Not only the affluent, not only the rich, but everybody. Grace giving impacts everyone in the body of Christ. Those who think they don't have money, as well as those who think they've got a lot of money. Grace giving, you remember the widow? She only had a mite, but she gave it anyway. And Jesus said that was more than that guy over there who gave all the other money. But he had more left over than he gave. The woman who only gave a mite didn't have anything at all. So she gave more, although she gave less as far as God is concerned. So we are to give personally and individually and to remember that no believer is exempt from giving God's way. No way. None of us can say we're too poor to give, sacrificially. The Macedonians didn't say that. Whatever it is that God has given you, God expects you to use that in a sacrificial way to help others. That's his point. We are to give systematically. And again, in that same passage, 1 Corinthians, he says, we are to put aside and save. Put aside and save. Give it systematically. This eliminates what I call haphazard or spasmodic giving. You know, you just, 
uh, whatever you happen to have, the change you have in your pocket, you give. Paul says, that's not what I'm talking about here. You plan it. You think about it. You pray about it. You, then you figure, this is what I'm going to give. You make that commitment to do it, and you save, and you give towards it on a, on a, daily ba- on a regular basis. And then we are to give proportionately. The text says, you give as you prosper, as God prospers you, as God gives to you. This is, this is quite different from the tithing. Nowhere in these chapters do Paul mention about a tenth or giving only one-tenth. He always talks about giving in proportion to what God has given you. Now, some people think that this is an, only a New Testament teaching, but that is not so. And this is sometimes we don't get the whole truth concerning the tithe and giving in the Old Testament. For instance, let me read you a passage in Deuteronomy 16, verse 10. This is what it says. Celebrate the festival of harvest to honor the Lord your God. Bring him a voluntary offering in proportion to the blessings you have received from him. This is the Old Testament now. Deuteronomy, notice again. Bring him a voluntary offering in proportion to the blessings you have received from him. This is a time to celebrate before the Lord your God at the designated place of worship. He will choose for his name to be honored. Celebrate with your sons and your daughters, your male and female servants, the Levites from your towns, and the foreigners, the orphans, the widows who live among you. Notice what he says. All must give as they are able, according to the blessings given to them by the Lord your God. So you see, proportionate giving was even taught in the Old Testament. As the Lord prospers you, you are to give. Some people who give one t- only one-tenth is robbing from God because they could give more. Some people who uh, uh, give more than a tenth actually is still not giving as much as they should because they're not giving according to what God has given. They might be able to give 30, 40, or even 50% if you give proportionately. When it comes to grace giving, percentages does not come into the picture. You pay according to what God has given you. That is the principle here. We are to give intelligently. Second Corinthians 9 says, as he purposes in his heart, The word purpose means to choose beforehand. So we are to give intelligently. We are not to be pressured into giving. We are to give intelligently. Now, this is important here because um, we should really think carefully about who we give our money to. Now, because time is going, just let me give you some practical ways of determining who to give to and who not to give to. Um, For instance, when you give to an organization, you should think about spiritual priorities. Number one, the local church should be given priority over any other institution. Why? Because that's a part, that you are part of a body that uh, is equipping you for the ministry, causing you to more mature in the faith and so on. Here's some other problems. So when it comes to institutions then, your local church should take priority over every other institution, every Christian school, every mission house, everything else. Every ministry that is not connected with the church 
should take second uh, priority or third priority, but the local church comes first. But when you, what about when you give to individuals? Here's some practical outlook. First of all, let me give you some more guidelines for giving to institutions. Which agency, which institution has its authority to exist more firmly based on the word of God? Some institutions that call themselves Christian are really not based on the word of God. So examine that. Is this institution really based on the word of God? Secondly, which agency is more directly controlled by and involved with the local church? There's some ministries that have no connection with local church at all. It's their own. They're almost like their own little church. They won't say that, but they have no oversight from elders or pastors or anything else. They are their own oversight. Be careful with that, you see. Because remember, we talk about accountability today, and this is one way of doing that. Which agency has less access to financial support by others? There's some agencies that have more exposure than other agencies. And so you don't want to give necessarily to agencies that have access to all kinds of exposure. Whereas here's another agency based on the word of God, fulfilling the mandate to reach unbelievers and so on. But they don't have that same kind of exposure. Well, that should help you to determine which institution you're going to give to. You don't give to the one that has all kind of exposure on TV and thing else, but this little one over here does have no exposure at all. That will help you to determine it. All right? Now, what about individuals? Galatians 6.10 tells us that Christians are to be given priority over non-Christians. In other words, if you, when you are giving, and there's needs both by Christians and non-Christians, the Bible says we are the first to take care of those in the household of faith. Isn't that right? He says we are to do good for all men, but especially to those who are the household of faith. So Christians take priority over non-Christians. Now, some of you might not like that, but that's what the scripture teaches. Then secondly, Christians who teach, the, teach you the word of God are to be given priority over other Christians who don't provide that kind of input for you. That's also taught in Galatians 6.6 6 and 1 Timothy 5.17. Now you have those passages there. Read Galatians 6.6 6 for me. What about 1 Timothy 5.17? Now, this might seem self-serving here and a little intimidating, but it's not meant for that. We're just trying to show how the Bible teaches you to distinguish between those that you give. All right? Christians above non-Christians, those who teach you the word above those who do not. That's when you have to make determinations now and so on. Now, here's some other guidelines that you should ask yourself. Whose ministry is endorsed by or influenced by or more centered in the local church? Because remember, God's agency for doing his will in the world today is the local church. Not some organization, not tied to it, but it's the local church. That's God's primary agency for accomplishing his will in the world. So one of the first things you need is that agency tied in somehow with the local church. Secondly, whose ministry is more true to the word of God, both in doctrine and the methods or practices they use. Not everybody on TV has, is teaching the truth. 
right or wrong. So just because they come on and have a big flashy uh, services and everything else looks so nice, you wonder in the first place where they get all this money from to make all these, uh, have all of these nice things and everything else. But what are they teaching? There's so much false teaching going around today. And many of God's people who don't believe in some of the things are endorsing them by giving them money because everything seems so nice. You see, uh, I was reading a story the other night about a, w- a wife who killed a husband. You know how she did it? By dropping a little bit, just a little bit of poison in his drink, his tea, day after day. He couldn't tell it. But... Day after day, the poison affected his body, and he died. Now, he couldn't tell it because it was mixed in with a lot of good tea. You understand? That's the same way false doctrine is. You get a little bit here, a little bit there, and you don't realize what happened until, boom, you've caught fully in false and erroneous teachings. Be careful about that. In whose ministry more enhances your own personal spiritual growth? Where do you get most of your spiritual growth from? I'm talking about spiritual growth now, not excitement. Not where you like the clapping and the shouting and you like the fancy lights and all of that. I'm talking about where do you get the kind of resources that help you to grow to be like Jesus Christ. Where do you get that? That's what we're talking about here. Um, And also the same thing with with the individual. You apply the same principle you apply to the institution. Is an individual in a, lo- in a position where he has more access to help from other people than another one? For instance, take me and Pastor Albrey. All right? I have a need. He has a need. You want to help meet that need. Well, you look at Pastor Albrey says, man, he is a popular guy. He could call up anybody and that need could be met like that. But look at poor Pastor Lee. He don't know anybody. Nobody is going to listen to him. So you should give to me, not to him. You see? All right. Right, Pastor Aubrey? You endorse that? No, okay. <laughs> then the spiritual outcome, as you read this whole thing, it says it motivates others to give God's way as well. Paul says your giving will motivate other people to give the same way the Macedonians' giving motivated them to give. And it also assures a prosperous return. The word prosperous means bounty or bountiful. When we give to the Lord, the Lord gives us a bounty. He gives us more than we need to meet our needs in order that we could meet the needs of others. That's another truth taught here. God does not give us excess funds so we use it on luxuries. He gives it so that we can use the excess funds to help other people. That's grace giving here. It enables, it enables us to give on a consistent basis in a way that honors God. It provides an attitude of thanksgiving in us and in others. We saw that this morning. When we give, it causes others to be joyful, and it causes joy in our own hearts because we know we're pleasing God. It provides the needs for other Christians. It causes Christians to glorify God. It is an evidence of saving and enabling grace. It encourages or enhances prayer and love amongst the people of God. And most, uh, lastly, it encourages or enhances our love and appreciation for Jesus Christ. Now in 2 Corinthians 9.15, I know that I shock some of you by saying here that the 
indescribable gift is the gift of grace that enables us to give above we are able. But still, we can apply that to Jesus Christ. And we can be thankful for the fact that he was willing to give his all for us because of the grace that he had and showered towards us. And so, grace giving then enhances our appreciation for Jesus Christ as well as for the gift of enabling grace. That's what Paul teaches concerning grace giving under the new covenant. 